The history of epilepsy can be summarized as 4,000 years of ignorance, superstition and stigma, followed by 100 years of knowledge, superstition and stigma. Fellow Homo sapiens, today get ready because we have had the rare opportunity to talk to somebody who is both a neurologist and the dad of a son who grew up with epilepsy. Ian Bone, who can see epilepsy from both sides of that table, speaks from the heart, telling us a bit about his experiences and what he's learned. Ian also tells us a bit about his new book called Sacred Lives, an account of the history, cultural associations and social impacts of epilepsy. So thank you very much for joining us today, Ian. Could you please tell us a bit about yourself in 30 seconds? Very briefly, I'm quite old. I was a neurologist for some 30 years. I come from Reading and um, I've lived in Glasgow for best part of 40 years. I have three children and um, that's basically it. I, I was a consultant in neurology. I was a general neurologist. Um, I didn't have a sp- particular interest in, in epilepsy, but I saw people with epilepsy. So you mentioned uh, that you were a dad, and I believe that you're a dad to um, a child with epilepsy, or possibly an adult now, I don't know. <laughs> an adult, yeah. I wanted to ask you, how has um, epilepsy then affected you as a dad of somebody with epilepsy and a neurologist? Because you've got a bit of extra knowledge going on there. It's very difficult because my son was diagnosed a long, long time ago when the facilities for people with epilepsy weren't as good as they are now. And at the time that he was diagnosed, the main concern was whether and how he would find his way in the world in terms of employment, relationships, what have you. So my knowledge that it was not an easy path to go down really made it difficult um, in terms of how I saw what the future might hold for him. Mm-hmm. Also, it was in a time when there was no real guidance to parents as to what to tell their children. Tim was diagnosed at a very young age. And, and what do you say and how do you explain it and how do you explain it to siblings? It was very, very difficult then. Did it bring any difficulties or did it uh, bring any benefits to your position as a neurologist? I knew then that the... And again, we're talking about the sort of early 1980s. The drug options were not as wide as they are today. Um, surgery for epilepsy really had um, gone into abeyance in Glasgow for a long period of time. In fact, I was one of the people that had brought it back into into um, being adopted as a treatment in Glasgow, which was kind of ironic. Oh, cool. Wow. <laughs> Unfortunately... Tim was never a candidate for surgery. And again, the diagnostic workup in those days and the criteria for epilepsy for surgery were, were, were difficult because the investigative facilities were much less than they are today. So did it help or did it hinder? That's a very difficult question to answer, you know. It's very difficult to be, to be entirely objective about how your reaction to a diagnosis and your knowledge of what it might bring in the future might have impacted upon what you said and what you did in bringing up a child. I can imagine it could have, that there are positive sides to it, like you understand obviously a lot more about the human brain than the majority of us, but that might also bring more worries to you uh, and you know you could overanalyze and all things like that. Yes, I would say that it did happen. I think that one would overanalyze and uh, Again, you, you know, at, at the very beginning, when when it first started, you should have rational thoughts because you come from a background of knowledge. But it's not easy to be rational when you're suddenly put in the position yourself. Mm. And the first thing you think of with a child is, could it be a tumour? And then you get, a, in those days, a CT scan. And a CT scans in the 1980s weren't that great. 
So even a normal CT scan didn't necessarily rule something like that out, and it was always at the back of your mind. You also knew the proportion of people who'd respond to anti-epileptic drugs, and you knew there was a good chance that, that, that it would happen to your child, but unfortunately, well, it did for a while. There was a good response. And then there was the issue, after a long period of being relatively seizure-free, about coming off drug treatment. I can only only imagine how hard that must have been for you. So I see in your book, I have your Lardydar book right next to me. If anybody wants to see the cover, hang on two secs. There we go. Sacred Lives. Right. And um, what I really like about this book, I'm one of those people sometimes goes to the back of a book, um, like first, I don't know why, it's this habit I've got. And I saw the bibliography at the back and I was so happy about that because so many pieces that I read uh, about epilepsy, unless they're like published papers or whatever, they don't have a bibliography, they don't have sources of the information contained within the book, and therefore you don't really know, is that true, is that not true, Except, you know, what research has gone into this, and that's something that I really do like about this book, and also I think that you include in there things from the perspective of a clinician, but also a dad, you can like feel the sort of, the feelings in it there, which, which is quite uh, rare, I would say. What was it like for you to write this? How long did it take, and how many tears, you know, went down your face, etc.? Loads of tears. Uh, it took about three years to write. I had to self-publish to start with. The book, right from the very beginning, was written basically that the royalties would go to an epilepsy charity, and they do, so it's, it's entirely for an epilepsy charity, the William Corrier Scottish Epilepsy Centre. Um, I enjoyed doing it, and I enjoyed doing it because I... I, I, I I'm interested in small detail, and I was interested in looking at the way that epilepsy was portrayed in the cinema, in, in music, in, in um, literature, um, how the law approaches epilepsy, how different countries have different laws on, for instance, driving. You know, simple things that you'd think would be international and recognised by everybody. You go to the States and find that different states have different criteria for when you can drive. Um, it's extraordinary. Some states it's six months, some states it's two years. Um, it's the lack of uniformity. And I learnt a lot through doing the book about, about I suppose, about stigma. And I, I was really... I have a quote, and I just want to give you this one quote, and I think it's a wonderful quote um, by Rajid Carl, who's a neurologist. And he says, The history of epilepsy can be summarised as five, 4,000 years of ignorance, superstition and stigma followed by a hundred years of knowledge, superstition and stigma. And I think that really almost sums up where we are today. We need mums, dads, carers, people affected by epilepsy, if they are able, to be able to learn more about it in order to become more confident, would you say? Yes, I would. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it shouldn't be a scary thing to talk about. Um, just so you know, like I started stripping up at work once during a seizure mm -hmm. and... Mm -hmm. And I learned then, always wear nice pants to work because you never know. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> and they covered my modesty, thank goodness. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I think also a thing that, you know, when you look at it from the way that people react towards seizures, towards epilepsy, yeah. to people who don't have epilepsy, who have no experience of it within their family, to see a seizure is an alarming course, thing. Of course, yeah. And I actually remember the very first seizure I saw. I was 10 years old, and I went to the cinema with my sister. 
and somebody in the row in front of me took a seizure and I remember it to this day because it was the first time I'd ever seen it and I remember being frightened by it. It's so good that you say that because it, sh it shows that you know even you and I who have personal experience of epilepsy we get why people get frightened about it if it's the first time they've seen um, I presume you're talking about a tonic-clonic seizure primarily. Yes, yes. Um, if they've never seen one before um, and if they haven't learned anything about it it makes sense because it's not like average sort of movement is it of the human body but that's why we need to teach people just like we teach people about asthma or diabetes or mind you having said that i confess i'm very ignorant regarding diabetes like i know that's a really complex condition as well but what i think we should do is embrace the complexity of the of epilepsy because it's so interesting it's crazily interesting and the research going on today even the art if you see my neuron here <laughs> um is, is, you know, is really exciting and, and we've come a long way, we've got a long way to go but I think that things are improving for sure and your book of course is, um, is part of that and I really, really thank you. Okay. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram and I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson, thanks for listening.